This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 20th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. The January 6th committee's work continues, and the hearings highlight the need for some reform to the election processes, at least when it comes to choosing a president. Cato's Thomas Berry details what those reforms ought to look like and why now is vastly preferable to later. As the January 6th committee has been moving through testimony, well, there have been some some new information that is, has come out uh, about the election aftermath of, of 2020 with specific respect to the laws that govern how presidents are selected and the uh, discretion that members of Congress, including the vice president, who is a member of Congress on certain days, what kind of discretion he has as well. So what do we learn recently from testimony of former Judge Luddig and others? That's right. So uh, former Judge Michael Ludig, who advised vice Pre- former Vice President Pence in the run-up to January 6th, and uh, Pence's chief counsel, Greg Jacob, both testified on the same day about their legal advice to uh, former Vice President Pence and the competing legal advice that President Trump was getting from John Eastman and others uh, purporting to suggest that the vice president has vastly more power than any vice president has ever claimed before in history. And it really drives home just how close we could have come to a constitutional crisis if Mike Pence had not uh, forthrightly rejected it and how important it is to reform the statute uh, that regulates that count to make explicit to future vice presidents that they don't have this power. You are referring to the Electoral Count Act, which has its own problems, uh, even if they are not decisive problems in the in the case of uh, choosing whether or not certain electors that present themselves in Congress are valid. So, what are the what what are the problems that need to be fixed about the Electoral Count Act? That's right. So the Electoral Count Act says the vice president presides, but it doesn't say essentially what does that entail. So what John Eastman and others suggested is that this power of presiding includes a, a vastly important power to decide what is and what is not a valid electoral vote. Uh, in several states that President Trump lost, the electors who had been pledged to him, who were not selected as electors, met unilaterally acted as if they had won and sent in votes to Congress, just as if they had been selected by the people of their states. And on this theory, it's the presider, if he finds in the mail, oh, here are some uh, signed ballots that look as if they were cast by electors. Uh, this legal theory essentially claimed that the vice president can decide, I, I like their claim to be an elector better than this, the claim of this other slate. I'm going to count them instead. So what the Electoral Count Act needs to do is be revised to explicitly state that presiding is merely a ministerial power. He gavels it open. He opens the certificates because the Constitution explicitly says he does. And that's basically it. The substantive decisions are up to either parliamentarians or the House and the Senate voting together. And there are sort of institutional facts uh, at play here that uh, lawyers understand better than me. Uh, and one of them is at a certain point after a state certifies an election result, that's it. You're done. Your task is over. It cannot be revisited. That's right. And the Electoral Count Act was written, uh, it was passed in 1887 in the wake of the disputed 
1876 dispute, so that never happened again. That dispute dragged on almost until the day of the inauguration. Uh, what the Electoral Count Act says essentially is that on the day the electors meet, that's the final day for the state to have made their decision. Uh, and it does say that if multiple purported electoral votes get to Congress, then things get more complicated. Even then, though, it says that it's the House and Senate that decide which to accept, not the vice president. Uh, but one amendment that's also desperately needed is to make clear just because the losing electors get together and send it in, that's not enough for it to be a purported vote or a purported return, to use the language of the statute. You need some state authority uh, to have endorsed that and to have a, a viable claim under state law. In the election of 2020, uh, there was confusion. The sitting president of the United States said, we won this election on election night and uh, pretty much followed through. John Eastman uh, presented theories at some point after that to the president and others saying, hey, no, there's a totally legit viable path for you to uh, hold on to the presidency here. And we had the January 6th riot, the so-called insurrection. And we got to prevent that from happening again. There has to be some sort of clarity here. So in terms of the reforms, you've alluded to a few of them. What are the specific reforms that ought to be adopted by Congress to make sure that this sort of attack on Congress on this pretty key day in uh, congressional work uh, doesn't happen again? The most important thing is to drive home the principle that those claims or those disputes about election fraud, those should be decided by the courts, not by partisan politicians in Congress or by the vice president. Too many people, too many Trump supporters had false hope that the courts are not the end point of these disputes and that Congress, either Congress or the vice president kind of serves as a super court um, to overrule all of those decisions that President Trump lost. Uh, the Electoral Count Act can be modified to make explicit what are valid grounds for the House and the Senate not to count a purported vote and those and make explicit that they're very narrow. They're very unlikely to occur. There are problems, for example, with the electors themselves. Maybe they weren't eligible. Maybe they held a second office, which the Constitution says they can't do. These are very unlikely to ever happen, but there are a few rules the Constitution sets out that Congress is in a natural place to enforce um, once they open, once the certificates are opened in front of them. But in the mine run of cases, Congress is doing nothing but bearing witness to the ministerial act of opening the slates as determined by the states and perhaps litigation that occurred in the run up to the states. You can also reform the day that the electors meet, perhaps, and push that a little bit later in the calendar, which would give the courts more time. But again, it follows the fundamental principle of you decide the election disputes by the day the electoral college meets, not all the way up to January 6th. One of the points that you make and have made on successive podcasts that we've recorded on this subject, and you've made this point elsewhere, is that time is of the essence. That at some point, the uh, partisan brain will take over uh, in for a lot of these members of Congress who otherwise could agree to perfectly reasonable rules without foreseeing how their guy in the future might be affected by it. Uh, so what's your advice to Congress in terms of moving ahead with these kind of reforms? 
I think it's crucial that they act this year, that they act before we get to 2023 for exactly that reason, that once you know which party controls the House and which party controls the Senate going into the 2024 election, it's just natural that people are going to think, am I going to be, is my party more likely to be a winner or a loser from this change? And it's inevitable that many people are just short-sighted. We saw this uh, in the testimony at the January 6th hearing. We heard that John Eastman essentially admitted, look, I didn't want Al Gore to have this power in, 20, in 2000. I don't want Kamala Harris to have this power in 2024, but I want Mike Pence to have this power now. And that's just kind of blatantly uh, partisan thinking, unfortunately, too many people can fall into. And so the better thing is to think about not what's the best rule to help me next election, but what's the best rule to last for the next 130 years, because that's about how it's been since the last time the Electoral Count Act was passed. So this, this chance to amend it does not come around very often. Thomas Berry is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.